Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Fear is a really scary thing. <laughs> guess that's ironic, but it is. Fear makes you worry that nothing at all is going to work out. And I remember that vividly when I was preparing to leave my job at Bain Capital. I had a meeting with an HR manager to talk about how, in just a few days, my email address would stop working, my card to get into the building would bounce, I would just no longer be an employee in any sense of the word. Not only did not having a paycheck scare me, but suddenly my whole identity was going to be taken from me. It felt like I was being stripped of what I knew. And I think when that happens, we tend to go to the scariest places in our mind. For me, that was, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get a job again. This woman is reading me my last rights, my last shot on goal to be able to say, hey, I'm just kidding. You know, I'll be back later. I'm not actually quitting. She was giving me a chance and I was ignoring it. Was this something I really wanted to do? Did I know what I was leaving? Those are the types of thoughts that were going through my mind. And what I realized looking back is that that's normal, A. But B, it kind of sucks that you only think of the really bad stuff that's happening when fear strikes. And I say all this because the conversation that you're about to hear is with Eric Wu, who speaks in great detail about the fear that he felt. Eric describes growing up with this fear of not knowing who to impress and how to impress them and what life he should live for himself. Eric ended up jumping a few times, first from a job in finance and investment banking to go to a tech company. But even from there, he jumped again. He wanted to start his own company, a fashion line called Public Space. And to hear Eric describe how he faces fear every single morning brought me back to that desk that I was sitting at hearing my human resources colleague tell me a bit about how my email was about to turn off and how, in spite of that, I decided to jump anyway. And I'd be lying if I said that the fear is totally left. But I think that's part of it, right? We should be living on some sort of edge of our comfort zone or else we're not really fully living, are we? Anyway, I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Eric, founder of Public Space, an online fashion brand that speaks to festival goers and activewear enthusiasts and people just like me who feel the fear and then keep living their lives. Eric, thank you for taking the time. Oh, my absolute pleasure, Mike. First of all, before we even begin, how crazy is it to be with the ponytail, short short shorts, <laughs> festival wear? It's a long way from an investment banking career. I know. Like, none of my friends could even recognize me, like, four years ago. And they can't imagine me being in a suit, like, going to Morgan Stanley or wherever, but it feels nice. It's a lot more comfortable. <laughs> I feel like uh, I can move around a lot more. It feels good. But yeah, it's it's a crazy journey. Yeah. And we'll get to feeling good and, and how that relates to your fashion brand in a little bit. Yeah, cheers. Uh, but let's start in the very beginning. And, and what you shared with me in your case study in the book was so fascinating because it actually started with your parents and how that shaped your childhood. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, my mother was very much someone who really like did hard work and just like, you know, really want to like get through things and was very tough in that way. Um, I think my dad, on the other hand, was a little bit more, 
free-spirited you know he was a professor um and i feel like there was that kind of like duality like between my two parents that i feel like for me like on the one hand there was this like i gotta go i gotta work hard i gotta do well in school gotta like be determined um but then on the other hand it was this more like enjoyment of life being free-spirited enjoying like all that life has to offer um and then i feel like that also that same duality you see again with like like the chinese culture which is where my front where i'm from um where it's more again like you know, more of like an obedient culture, more about like doing uh, determination, hard work, and the U.S., which is more independent, free-spirited. And so them coming from the Chinese background to the U.S., um, I just feel like that duality played in my life, and that really can sometimes be hard to make decisions for me, where, you know, which sort of um, heuristic do I go for? Like, what world am I going to choose to be a part of, the one that's more conventional or the one that's 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 more unconventional that kind of like shaped a lot of my life choices um and even made it really hard for me to decide to go to college um but i ended up going to dartmouth which i felt like was always the like middle ground of the two right like you know i mean it very good academically but i mean you know obviously you and i both know how how much fun dartmouth is and, and the school culture and I don't always uh, interview only Dartmouth alums, but I try to when I can. <laughs> yeah. So you're at Dartmouth, and you start to look around, and it sounds like that's where you first got interested in clothes and what you were wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that that, that was that was exactly right. I I feel like when I was at Dartmouth, there was this weird but amazing, incredible culture of flair, right? Like people would go out, and they would just dress up in like crazy thrift clothing like you know neon leotards and leopard print headbands and you know um military onesies jumpsuits from like the <laughs> 40s or whatever and it was just like this culture of just dressing up in the most outlandish way possible um and i had never been a part of that culture before i never seen fashion being used in this almost like it was like like caring about not caring right it was like this like mindful nihilism i don't know like i, I don't <laughs> know if I, I don't know if I, that's too much of a stress but it, it was it was this thing where like everyone just loved dressing oddly and um and and fashion became this thing where it was like carefree um and that's what when i really started to enjoy like this it wasn't fashion i just really enjoyed dressing in the same odd manner i didn't really like fall in love with fashion as an idea i just loved that freedom of expression you know, obviously later on I started a fashion company, sure. but there are these, I think, you know, just roots or like hints that yeah. you see from like experiences that you have when you aren't really paying attention, when you're not like trying to find something that you want to do. You're just like, oh, well, you know, Mike Lewis is wearing a neon jumpsuit. So like I'll wear uh, a zebra onesie. And then like <laughs> maybe at some point later on that, that something happens out of that or maybe nothing happens. But um, but it's in your mind. But it's in your you mind. About it. yeah. there's, there's like a seed, right? Yeah. Like, and so let's go back to, I think it was junior year, you said, in college where, you know, it might seem like, and you might be listening to Eric being like, oh, gosh, well, the guy kind of had this platform to go off and start a fashion <laughs> brand. That really wasn't the case. Like, no. it was a big deal to be at a college, let alone an Ivy League college, where there was real expectation. There was not time, yes, during the day maybe to wear that flair, but time gets real to get a job and you line up for it. And what I think you described is almost wearing a new type of costume. It was very easy to get into that race. So describe going into that route. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I mean, which is funny to say putting on a new costume because like I, I was, I'd done a lot of acting, right? Like my whole life, uh, like since 
middle school. So like in, in some ways, like, yeah, putting on like going to a Northeast liberal arts college was like kind of like playing a new character, playing the character of like, you know, the traditional liberal arts college route. And then, you know, wearing flair. Oh, that's definitely another character. And then, oh, this is interesting. Like, let's play the character of, uh, you know, a corporate banker, a corporate, someone with like a corporate job. Let's see how that is. It's a suit and a tie. It's a costume, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and it was, it was, I mean, I have to say it was like, it was the, the commotion and the chaos and the brouhaha of like the entire campus gearing up for corporate recruiting. Like that's exciting in a weird way. If you, if you don't sort of like think too deeply about like what your passion is, it's an extraordinarily like exciting thing. Like everyone's doing this and talking about it. So I got caught up with all of that. Um, and um, not to say I didn't have some sort of interest in, in finance at the time um, and ended up, you know, applying to summer internships, winter internships, got a couple. Um, so I was interning as an investment banker, you know, during the summer that I had, you know, your important junior summer internship. And I was working 80, 90 hours and I knew I disliked what I did. I like was very clear, like. I was not like just and, and some people liked it. Some people enjoyed it. I didn't, you know, and and I didn't make a note of that. I, I, I like I knew that, but I didn't take that and change what I was going to do. Um, and so after college, I ended up accepting a job within the world of finance. I was I was I was an investment banker at Morgan Stanley. It, it's hard to say whether or not it felt right or not. Um, because, you know, again, on the one hand, it, it, it's exciting to have a job coming yeah. out of college. It's exciting to have, you know, a salary. It's exciting and comforting to know that you're doing somewhat of the right thing. Yeah. You're doing a thing that people will say it's okay. It was in some ways trying to sort of, I wouldn't say appease my parents, but to do the thing that just seemed really comfortable. It seemed fine, and I was willing to swallow this discomfort of actually doing the job for this comfort of a being on some sort of track that was yep. socially acceptable, um, making my parents proud, and see sort of like being like having that social proof of being with like other people who are very smart doing something similar. It's a weird balance, right? Like this is what you should be doing, and yet that voice about fashion and and what you wear it didn't seem to go away well i don't think it was necessarily the voice of like fashion that did, made me decide to move it was just the voice in my head that was like i don't like this like the physical motions of moving my fingers across this keyboard into this excel spreadsheet and like thinking about credit derivatives all day that was like physically uncomfortable um and so i think that I, at a certain point, realized while I was at Morgan Stanley that I kept doing Morgan Stanley for why, whatever why was. Um, but I realized at a certain point that, like, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and, and the discomfort of being at Morgan Stanley made me want to do something else. Like, it has to be, like, I don't know if you know the word autotelic. No. Um, so this psychologist... Um, who studies the concept of flow. You know flow? Yeah, a bit, a little bit, but... Just the, the idea yeah. of, like, you know, you are... When you're in your flow, like, it's like a surfer who's on his surfboard. It's a cadence, or, yeah. Yeah, it's like the... It's what he, what this psychologist calls, like, the highest level of, like, human being because you're so engrossed in what you're doing 
it's a, both a challenge to you and yet you're also skillful at it. So you sort of, the world disappears and you're just like in your element. It's when you're playing squash. Like, yep. like for you, Mike, yeah. like when you're yeah. when you're like, you know, after you warmed up, you're playing against someone who's like just good enough. You guys are really close and you're not thinking about anything yep. else. So th- that's kind of like this I, and, and the way to get that. And like, I feel like I'm trying to maximize flow for myself because that to me is one of the most enjoyable things to, to be in. And you can find flow in, in a lot of different things. And so one of the, 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 the tenets of being able to achieve flow is to do something for an autotelic reason, meaning to do something for no other reason than the fact that you want to do that thing. So, like, you have a goal in squash, which is to... Win do, the match. Win the match, yeah. right? And there's these rules to do that. Yep. But at the core of why you play squash, there's almost... It's, 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 not, ar- it's, like, it's not arbitrary, but it's just... No, I just... I like playing squash because I like playing, playing squash. squash. Yeah. And um, and so that idea of, of, of the autotelic mindset is something that I feel like is sort of missing from our world, especially when you have like our society moving towards things of like Instagram where you see this like end result. So people are like, well, I want to do X so I can do Y. They're no longer saying I want to do X so I can do X just for that. Yes, means um, to an end rather than a means to the means. Exactly. And as that thought is brewing of, of what else is out there, what I thought was so telling about your, your your case is that it wasn't like, all right, I'm going to go out guns blazing, and you would be that way if, if you could, but you're not. you know, and, right. and that's just not how you're wired, and I don't think that's how a lot of people are wired. And it's put in the time and build kind of that safety net and start to do a little of the, the practice and, and then take that mini jump. What was that mini jump for you? Um, well, first, I think it's the, the thing that you're describing about me is actually my, my girlfriend has a term for that. She says, I'm tepid. And she doesn't mean it in a negative way. It's just like you just need your time to warm up to something and you give yourself that time. But then once you're warmed up to the idea, then you go for like you have that process and you're comfortable knowing that you have that process. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with being tepid about it. And um, for some people, like to be comfortable with that actually gets them to move from point A to point C by going through point B, B yeah. you know? Um, and otherwise, point A to C is, like, impossible. It's like, exactly. how do you even do that? So then you just stay at A because you don't know B exists. Exactly, exactly. So, like, embrace embrace, embrace that aspect of your personality if you're like that and know that there is a solution to that, which is to do things slowly. So the next thing that I did, which was I was, I was an associate at, at Techstars, which is a, a tech incubator, it wasn't finance. It wasn't this spreadsheet world that I really was not fit for. Um, and it was more around the world of technology and entrepreneurship and starting new companies, which I had an interest around. But I didn't go and start my own company. I just tried, like I did like kind of like an internship in that world um, in my own little way. And then the, the next step, which is actually pretty, pretty funny, I don't know if I ever told you this, but after coming out of Techstars, I had, I had two job offers. I was either going to work as a production assistant for the Vice on HBO show. Oh, cool. Or I was going to work um, as the business analyst to the CEO at Hinge, which was a, a venture-backed startup. That's a dating site. It's a dating app. It's a dating app. It's actually doing very well now. Um, they relaunched. I actually met my current girlfriend on Hinge. So you go to Hinge. I go to Hinge. Choose Hinge. I end up choosing Hinge, which is like, you know, I think Vice on HBO, which 
I like thought really hard about. Like it, it, it wasn't. It, it seemed scary to me, and I wasn't quite ready at that time to just be a creative because that is the track that I would have gone down. Right. Um, and uh, I decided to go to Hinge, where I feel like. Again, another middle ground. Yeah, like point C, maybe. <laughs> point C, yeah, point point C. I don't know where where we are at that yeah, point. Exactly. Um, and it was it was great. I, I ended up being able to do. I ended up being able to produce videos for Hinge, um, like some. I ended up being able to do investor relations. I ended up getting to do a lot of like our creative marketing, our email, and helping our CEO with like business strategy. So it was it was perfect for me at the time, and it wasn't too scary it was still it, it was further along definitely if you look at between like you know working at a startup and working at um, an investment bank like still a huge difference but it wasn't it wasn't too scary it wasn't too out of my comfort zone and it was on that progression towards towards exactly. ultimately the real jump which you know I, I like after I did Techstars I knew that I was going to start a company at some point um, I, I, I fell in love with entrepreneurship after seeing, um, you know, the CEOs in the program um, and being, you know, just thinking to myself, like, you know, these guys are smart and they're great at what they do. And I think I can do the same thing. Um, and always, yeah, and I even at Hinge, I still had my eye on that thing because I knew Hinge was that stepping stone to prepare me for that. And of course, you know, again, some people might have just gone directly and started their own company, but I wasn't like that. I wanted a little bit more, um, a bit more of like a training ground. Uh, and then I think it sounds like there was this point where it was time to, to maybe go a little bit deeper in the water. Yeah, you know, and at a certain point, I think I realized that after doing the banking world, after doing the tech incubator, after doing Hinge for a year and a half, there just wasn't a question at that point. I felt completely comfortable. I like knew this was the right thing. I didn't even, I, I like, I didn't really have to think about it when that question came up. And I was just like, Oh yeah, like I know what I'm doing now. Like I'm going to start my own company. It, it it felt liberating. It felt great. It was it was it was one of the best feelings in the world. It was raining that day on October, I think October fifteenth, and I called my parents. They they were freaking out a little bit, right? Oh sure. Yeah. But I didn't have a doubt in my mind at that point. And so describe that conversation with your parents. And and what was the jump? What were you going to do? Yeah. So so the conversation with my parents was essentially. I'm going to do this thing and I'm like, you cannot talk me out of it. And, um, there was, there was, cause I knew that there was going to be a certain amount of pushback. Um, but I kind of had prepared them for it, having done those steps. And I essentially told them like, I know I need to do this. I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm going to start a company and like, this is what I've wanted to do for, for, for many years. And, you know, it seems scary, but you just need to trust me on this. You need to take a leap of faith. Um, and surprisingly, I, 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 I think they were preparing it for it themselves, too. Um, they were okay with it. They, they, they told me explicitly, we don't want you to do this, but we will support you in doing it, which was all I needed to hear. So the idea of what it was about... Four months before that, I was in Laguna Beach, um, or, or sorry, actually I was in Santa Monica, and um, I was doing yoga with one of my best friends, and we had we had like a party to go to afterwards, um, and we feel we didn't have a pair of shorts where we could go 
and work out in and like run around in and be active and then go to some sort of like dance thing where we could where we had to be expressive you know it was either your gray black like nike shorts or you have some like crazy printed pair of shorts that is not utilitarian it's not athletic um and it was just a really simple idea it was just this problem that i saw and i wanted to solve it so i must admit not to give a solicitation to your product but you gave me a pair recently and Every single time I have worn it, I haven't told you this, but every single time I've worn this, I've gotten a, a compliment on my pair. I'm not wearing them now, but they're dinosaur uh, uh, yeah. themed. Third grade. Third yeah. grade, that's the style. And wherever I am, airport, cafe. And I just think, A, you should know that, but B, like how cool to be making an impact. Yes, this might not be your life calling. That's an important piece of all this that you, you'll probably be jumping again. You already are thinking about it. But you're, you're making an impact, whether it's one pair of dinosaur shorts or, or, or a hat, but you're well, doing thank it. Thank you. Well, thank you. No, that, that makes me very happy. I, and yeah, I have friends who tell me that all the time, and I'm always just like, wow, okay, hell yeah. Like, I, I, I had no idea. Like, I thought I was just making a pair of shorts. I didn't think I, I, I could design a pair of shorts. I and mean, you don't think that going in. And then you just somehow end up doing it, and somehow it, it, it works. And you're probably going to do a lot better than you think. I remember thinking this very clearly. I was like, I wanted to start a company that would be like cash flow and profit positive from the beginning. I didn't necessarily want to do a VC back thing because still in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to go travel. Um, I want to be able to travel for a few months without having the like, within the next, you know, three, four years without having the idea of like VCs or anything being on my back. Cause I saw that, I saw that world and I know that kind of pressure. And I was like, I'm not ready for that right now. I'm ready to start a very simple business that makes money that can fund my ability to go travel. Which is a really cool version of a jump because a lot of people think the jump has to be, you know, every single thing on this bucket list. You know, like it's going to solve all the world's problems. It's going to be exactly what I dreamed of doing. And instead it was like, this is going to, you know, give me that little space for these lifestyle ambitions I have and be a stepping stone to the next thing. Exactly. And the secondary effects of that are, you know, which I didn't realize at the time, but it's that I got to start a business that had a much higher probability of success that would allow me to learn about business like frontwards and backwards just like as a concept like and really like have my first business down before doing something that I'm like I want to really now change the world and raise you know a a 10 million dollar series and I go do that and I'm like before any of that let's just do something basic let's take that small little step let's do wherever we're at, like, step D or E or whatever. <laughs> like, let's do that thing and fulfill my, like, my goal at that point, which was have a business and yet still be able to travel. And even that is still scary. Like, you describe, oh, yeah. you know, giving your notice to your boss and he's saying, the CEO of Hinge being, like, something along the lines of, dude, this is, you know, it's still a real deal. Like, it's scary starting your own thing. I woke up, like, with... Uh, like just heavy heart beating um like i think every day for the first month and a half like like physiologically just like having a mini panic attack every single day yeah um and and like it's a lot of it has 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 subsided but you're not gonna like the fear it doesn't it doesn't go away oh yeah i remember you know it's funny not that we're anywhere out of the clear on what we're trying to build with when to jump but uh the funniest reactions when people are like, oh, congratulations. And I'm like, congratulations. I still wake up freaking terrified every day. Oh, yeah. It's the biggest fear and yet the biggest thrill because it really does feel like this is what I found that is you know, my, my calling in many ways. 
but to put that out in the world and to wake up every day being responsible for trying to, to solve and operate that doesn't old you know it never will fully go away no. that fear <laughs> and i think a lot of people miss that and people yeah. are always like oh that's that's cute like he's being humble it's like no like it actually it's very scary to wake up every day doing something you really care about uh, learn to be one with the fear mike <laughs> exactly and i think you mentioned a line uh, that i suck with me is to be irrationally irrational right. as you think of f failure because otherwise it can consume you right right you have to realize that it's possible and you have to mitigate the risks to, to, so that it doesn't happen but you still at the same time need to have fear in order to mitigate the risks associated with it right yes and you know it's funny and again talking about fear like like I just read something Elon Musk is says the exact same thing he's like he's like are you kidding me like I f probably feel fear more than the average person it's not that I don't feel it you just have to like learn to deal with it you have to learn how to manage the fear that's just like one problem of the like many problems that Elon Musk or and, or you or I have to have to have to deal with. Not not that we're on you know Elon Musk's level <laughs> yeah, of a problem, not, not yet. but just that like we all have problems and fear is just a problem you have to solve and yeah. manage. And what I did is I ended up just writing affirmations to myself. I, I realized this. I would wake up every morning freaking out. Um, so I was like, all right, what's the solution? All right, I will write something to myself every morning um, that essentially was like a letter to myself. To, to, to make sure that I understood that fear is just like a feeling. A fear was just a thing that I had to deal with and that, you know, like there wasn't any getting away with this. I just had to do it in spite of the fear. Um, and I, 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 I read that every single morning. That's so cool. And, and, and after a while, like I stopped, I stopped having like mini panic attack, mini panic attacks in the morning. Yeah. Um, and, but still from time to time, it's always like, I mean, even now I'm like, well, what if, what if this happens? Like, what if, you know, our sales go down. Like, like I, 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 it's still uncertain. And what, what would you tell others? I mean, I think what your story comes off to me as is like truly the everyday person who, again, had had great opportunities. Let's not dismiss that. Like, yeah. you you went to an amazing school. You had an amazing job, but you were dealing with with real fear. You still do with real emotions, with real expectations, with a cultural implication to all of this. What would you tell those folks that are like, geez? I don't even know what I want to do, but what I'm doing right now isn't it. The motions, the physical activity of my job isn't it. What would you say to do? And, and I think you relate it to like riding a bike, right? Yeah, it's 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 like riding a bike. It's like you you can. Like I, I, so here's the thing. Like I see all of the motivational writers on Medium, and I think there's there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I think that everybody sort of needs that motivation at times. And Medium is the for those who don't know, a blog on kind of aspirational writing. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And, and, and you have motivational writers, you know, everywhere. Um, but, and I found this myself so many times, but it's easy to get stuck on just reading the motivational writings yes. and not do anything. Um, and, and, and yeah, the example that I, that I gave to you was, you know, it's like riding a bike. Like you can read books on bike theory, on how to fix a bike, on how to ride a bike. But like you are going to get nowhere in terms of actually riding a bike until you ride your bike. You're probably going to fall a couple times, yeah. you know, and like my solution was, you know, use training wheels, you know, and then maybe take, you know, take them off and, and go easy and go slow. But no matter what, like get on the bike, just give it a shot. 
And that can start as simple as a coffee conversation with someone doing something generally relating to what you're interested in. Too, right? yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think I also think it's f- interesting to do things uh, at both ends, meaning like have an end goal. It might, doesn't have to be the one you want to go with, but like go out and like really dream big and trying to figure out an end state that you want to be in and then trying to figure out what that, like that first thing to do for that end state and like forget about the middle. You know, like know the first step and like the last thing that you want to do and like the middle will come to you as you do the first thing. But like, yeah, getting a coffee, like picking up a hobby, like that should be pretty easy. You know, just doing something you like doing will help a ton. Definitely. And as we talked about, the middle steps come through. The the steps B, C and D evolved as you started to see what was ticking in your mind, starting with finding flair at Dartmouth, right? That started to come back, and then you found the steps to listen to it in some way with, with what is now public space, the fashion brand. Exactly, yeah. And in public space is in no way at all, it's like, it, it is not the same thing that I thought of. It, it, is, it is not, it is so different. The business model is so different. It is not what I expected. Um, but, like, you know, you're, you're just not going to know. And, and, and it's, it's, and people always say that, right, that you don't know. But it's true. Like, at least for me, like, I had no idea that public space was going to be public space. You know, it started off as woo and why. Um, and now it's public space. And, and, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Cool. I, I think that's a great stopping point for now. And if people want to check out public space, it's publicspace.xyz. Yep. It's yep. a very cool web domain. Yeah, no, trying to be trendy and hip like <laughs> the kids nowadays. Exactly. Well, you're in Brooklyn. That's yeah. pretty cool from what I hear. Yeah, no, yeah, publicspace.xyz. Um, yeah, check it out, see what you think. Cool. Yeah. Well, Eric Wu, thank you so much for joining me, for being a part of the community, and, and really for sharing that honest story of what it means to jump. Dude, my absolute pleasure, Mike. That will do it for this episode of the When to Jump podcast. I hope you were able to feel the fear from my conversation with Eric Wu. I would love for you to check out his brand, publicspace.xyz online, learn more about his story. For more on us, you can find us at whentojump.com for all the latest news, updates, emails, happenings, things that are good, bad, crazy going on as we plan for the book launch in just over a month, which is crazy. If you want to find us on social, at when to jump across Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. And if you've got a story to share, if you're a listener with a jump to, to tell, we'd love to hear it. You can record it and ship it off to when to jump podcast at mcmillan.com. And here's a story from one of our listeners. Hi, my name is Rachel Levy Lesser, and here is my when to jump story. I jumped in 2010 when I decided to pursue my lifelong, although somewhat suppressed for me for too long, passion of writing professionally. I took the safe road most of my early life with a solid career in marketing, but then life happened along the way. My mother was diagnosed with cancer in 1998. She died in 2004 at the age of 57. I was 30 then, relatively newly married, working in marketing, and became the mother of a brand new baby. I was having trouble dealing with the loss of my mother, and I decided to write down my thoughts and my memories of her in a journal-type format. Long story short, the journals became a book. I finally jumped fully uh, when I thought I had enough cushion from my husband's job and contacts and writing gigs that I had lined up. I've since written a children's book, which was released in 2012 from a traditional publisher. I teach writing workshops in schools and at nonprofits, and when I teach, I talk a lot about the power of writing to heal. 
which is definitely what it did for me. I'm so glad I jumped. It wasn't easy and writing professionally continues to present challenges for me, but I'm happy doing what I'm doing and I really can't see myself doing anything else. Until next week, I'm Mike Lewis. Thanks for joining. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.